Hello and welcome to Smart Pill, a podcast where each episode delivers concentrated knowledge on one specific topic. The podcast is brought to you by the WHRO Emerging Leaders Board, a diverse group of young professionals who are passionate about bringing public media to a millennial generation. I'm your host, Ryan McIntyre, and this is the third of a special three-part episode called Origin Stories, live storytelling recorded at the beautiful Wells Theater in downtown Norfolk. The night featured three young professionals, Dawn, Isaac, and Phil, sharing stories of inclusion and beginnings in geek culture. Phil Adango is a professional cosplayer who tours the country competing at conventions like the San Diego and New York Comic Con. Now, Phil's story has some content that might not be suitable for small children, so keep that in mind if you have kids listening. He gives us his true origin story, talking about his beginnings. So my first costume was actually Russell from Up. The others that he finds inspiring. She was able to manifest something that she created and she was proud of. And the difficult, dangerous times that he's endured. With a knife right up to my neck and said, go back to where you came from. I want to set the scene by letting listeners know that Phil is a large man, and on this night, he walked to the stage in full costume as Maui from Disney's Moana, complete with the hair, tattoos, and a giant glowing fishing hook. He captured our imagination right away. So please welcome our last speaker for the night, Phil Odango. I love the smell of old books. The kind of dusty, musty feeling of nostalgia and the feel of the grain of the paper um, in your fingertips. And as you're flipping through the pages, you're transported through time and space into different mindsets and monologues. And you become something else. You become someone else. You become part of the journey. You become the hero. And you find yourself on a quest 20,000 leagues under the sea, or you're a monster created and you're being chased by villagers, or you find yourself going through a wardrobe and you're transported to a magical place called Narnia. And being a child, I was fat. I was a fat child. I was also an immigrant, born in the Philippines and came to the United States at two years old. And I also didn't speak English. So I had to go on a special bus that went to a special class after school and took English as a second language class. And through these classes, I learned how to speak English goodly. <laughs> and, th- and the bus rides where I don't go to the ESL classes, I was often taunted um, for being Chinese, Japanese, mix it up. Probably heard of those growing up and never and being taunted for my size, ethnicity, I couldn't speak. And so I escaped to Pretlow Library in Ocean View. And I enjoyed being able to be surrounded by all of these opportunities of literature and adventures, your choose your own adventures. And I was inspired by that, that I could be anyone and I could become and do and achieve anything that I wanted. Until one day I was in fifth grade on a bus ride home. As I got off the bus, I was confronted by a neighborhood um, bully who held me at knife point and with a knife right up to my neck and said, go back to where you came from. He didn't say it as eloquently as that. Um, But the idea was that I didn't belong here, that I wasn't part of this community, that I 
was the other. And eventually I ran and I didn't tell anyone and for a long time. And I really internalized that as the other, you know, trying to discover what does it mean to be someone else and not accepted. And so books became an escape for that. But eventually I made a friend on the bus named Rob, and he introduced me into the world of comic books. And growing up, we didn't have a lot of money, so we never went to the comic book store and bought comics. So he gave me about a dozen comic books, and the character that I really gravitated to was Peter Parker, Spider-Man. You had this outcast of a boy in high school um, being bullied by Flash Thompson and uh, was one day bitten by a radioactive spider and then he was, had this, all of this amazing power and talent and ability to confront his bullies. And also the fact that when he had all this power, he, spoiler alert, he let his uncle die. And reading through this arc, I realized that there was a character that I could relate to. He didn't look like me, he didn't sound like me, but his journey of trying to discover who he is and, and what his purpose was really resonated with me. And so I started to grow to love comic books and finding um, all the X-Men, the Avengers, and all the DC comics, and um, being able to, to feel that escapism in those characters and in those worlds. And eventually, as time grew on, I, I began to flourish in this world creation journey. And about 10 years ago, in 2007, I decided that I wanted to create worlds too. I wanted to be a world creator, not just someone who was living in other people's worlds. And so by this time, I had collected some really significant comic books. And one of them was a very good condition 8.0 CGC graded Amazing Fantasy 15, which is the first appearance of Spider-Man. And I was at a turning point in life. I had been working in marketing, and so I was creating worlds for other people. And I just wanted to create a world where I can be the, the Stan Lee. I can be the Jack Kirby. I can be that producer of that. So I sold my beloved comic book on eBay to finance my very first play that I directed and produced. And I had no idea what I was doing. And there was a lovely theater on 40th Street, um, 40th Street stage that gave me a chance, gave me a break, and it allowed me to create Bat Boy the Musical and bring in all of this talent and pull together an amazing group of other creatives who co-create this universe. And what I loved about it is that we were bringing to life things that were on paper on, and bringing it to life so other people can enjoy it. And I love that. I love the creative collaboration of bringing something into life out of nothing and at the end of it, taking it all apart and it being a blank canvas. And there was something nostalgic about that. It's like when you finish a book and you want to read the next one, but that's it. Or you have to wait like months until the sequel comes out. So. That led me into an addiction of theater, of wanting to create and experience more worlds. So in about, a, in about a span of 10 years, I have been able to work on a production either in a design or directing or producing capacity on over two dozen productions. And I started realizing that all the aspects of theater that I had been working on, the one area that I never really got a chance to really dig deep into was costume design. 
And of course, with superheroes and characters, it's like, wow, those are awesome. So I decided, I want to try it. I want to make a costume, right? And I didn't know how to sew with a sewing machine since we grew up um, not having access to one, so we learned how to hand sew. And so my first costume was actually Russell from Up. And there was a closet cosplay at the time. Um, and cosplay, as I had discovered from going to MarsCon, which is a convention uh, up in Williamsburg, is a combination of costume and play, where you put on a costume and you interact as a character and you go to and you visit other booths and just enjoy enjoying it for yourself. So I made my first cosplay as Russell from Up. But since then, I hand-sewed costumes, so I became um, characters from the stories that I loved growing up. I became Radagast Brown from uh, The Hobbit, and um, characters from, um, lo- from uh, Disney, like Ursula, and um, yeah, and then so these are the things that I was bringing into life for myself. I was taking everything that I loved about theater and performance and craftsmanship, everything I loved about taking something off the, sta- off the paper and bringing it to life, I was turning it inward to myself. And what I was finding myself doing was looking at myself more, looking at myself in pictures more, since I hated how I looked like, because I was being reminded that I was an other. And I, as I was becoming someone else, I was becoming more of who I was meant to be. And as I kept on progressing in creating these costumes, I decided to start competing in them at competitions and that feeling when you get on stage and you're wearing a costume and you made it yourself and you're being judged by it, it's nerve-wracking because it's like, I am a theater, I am, this is me. And you're in front of all these people and you're being judged for it. When really, that rush, that feeling is that, wow, everything that I've done has led up to this moment. So I got a thrill from cosplaying and, and, being, and, and making new friends in that community. And so when the trailer and the promotions um, for Doctor Strange came out, I was like, oh my goodness, Stephen Strange, you know, that arrogant playboy who became an anti-hero and really didn't want, you know, to be the Sorcerer Supreme and being able to see that translated on screen and played very well by Benedict Cumberbatch, I fell in love with the costume. I was like, that is a really awesome costume. The visual design of the film, I wanted to be Doctor Strange. So mind you, up until this point, I had just been hand sewing all of my costumes. And the design for the film was very complicated, very intricate. So I had to buy a sewing machine. So I went to Joanne's Fabrics and bought a singer sewing machine. I was like, okay. And then I went to YouTube and typed in how to sew. <laughs> so there I was on YouTube, like saving all, creating a playlist of all these you know, techniques, how to do a straight switch, how to thread your bobbin, all, all the basic things. I just had this you know, fear of like, you know, my fat fingers like sewing through it. So I had, a, I had that fear and it was genuine, it was real. And eventually when I learned I can like sew like a yard of a straight stitch, I was like, okay, I can do this. And then so it took me five months to sew this costume. And mind you, because I'm a larger guy, I can't just go into uh, a, pat- or to a fabric store and get a pattern and like, size it up because it's not 
that simple that way. So I learned to make my own patterns during this process. I learned how to do, you know, comparative fabric shopping and coupons and all of that fun stuff. Um, but in this process, I began to see myself as that character. I wasn't becoming Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. I was becoming the Sorcerer Supreme myself. So having worked on this costume for five months and working with a really wonderful photographer named um, Kirby Lirio, we produced some amazing photos together and a really great collaboration. And I, when I saw the photos, that feeling of like seeing yourself for the first time as a hero, as a, I look really badass, like the effects were great, I was making a portal. And I was like, wow, I really feel inspired to enter. So. At this time, I've only been going to the local conventions, you know, which is really great and made a lot of great friends. So in my mind, I was like, New York Comic Con. I'm going to go for it. Just go for it, right? And then so I submitted, and this is the way it works. You submit, and you get screened like out of hundreds. And then they narrow it down to about 30-some um, people. And then you get to compete on stage, and you'll be judged on your craftsmanship. They'll actually look at your seams. They'll ask you about your, your craftsmanship and how you made it and why you made it. And usually this is a panel of people who've worked at places like Weta Workshop, Marvel. You know, these are the TV shows. So it's really intense. And so you're being judged, you know, by these industry professionals. And here I am, like, you know, with my costume. Like, I learned how to sew on Google. And with these amazing, like, couture pieces. And I was like, well, I'm here to have fun. I made it this far. We'll have fun. And the other part of the judging is the performance aspect. So I was like, I got this. Theater, got it. So got on stage, did some spins, made sure you can see the aerodynamics of my cape. Awesome. So I had a great time, that great feeling. I brought it up to here till now. Whew, this is amazing. I got what I wanted out of it, which was to be able to realize that something that was inside of me translated onto real life. And then I ended up placing second. And there I was, like, on stage, like, uh, walking just like that, giving a little, little twirl with my Google sound dress, or outfit, and getting my medal, and I just couldn't, could not believe it. And that was just the beginning. And once I had won from there, Marvel had picked me up uh, and, and profiled me as one of the Marvel cosplayers in October. And so on the Marvel website, there I was. Philip Bodango, next to Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. yeah. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what, what happened. Like, you know, I just Googled this together. And so that, kind of, that went on into, um, that translated into becoming an opportunity for, uh, for people to actually come to me for inspiration and help with their costumes. So I created a really long tutorial on how I did it because my kind of audience and people that I work with are people who have no idea what they're doing because that's just like me. And so I created this tutorial and, and had over half a million downloads and views. And they were asking, how did you do this? And there were a lot more men 
who were interested in sewing and they wanted to try it, but they didn't know how. And so that was really interesting too. A segment of the sewing population, go figure, might be men. And so there were also young cosplayers, newer cosplayers, people who were just interested in getting into it. So I started becoming a bit more vocal about how to get involved and, how, and, and giving it your shot and trying something new and different you know, for yourself. Even if it's just creative self-expression, it doesn't have to be for competition. It doesn't have to be anything but for yourself. And so I started building that community and I kept thinking to myself like, wow, this is so cool, this is great until the trolls start to appear online, right? So it's kind of like, you know, you pass that troll under the bridge and there's like five trolls, you gotta answer a riddle, you know, to get there. So that was what started experiencing was that we had people coming out of the woodwork and the comments were fascinating because these were actually being posted on Marvel's Facebook page by people. And things were like, oh, that, I didn't realize Dr. Strange is Mexican. Oh, it must be the Sorcerer Supreme Taco. Or things were like, and I was reading this. Mind you, I, I, I've already been, I'm an adult, you know, reading all of this. Like, wow, that just, that, that made me feel, like, for the first time, um, that I shouldn't have even learned how to sew. Like, it made me feel that, wow, like, I, I really enjoyed everything up until now. And when I, I started taking this as, like, a, a learning moment, right, that, for everything that, that there's you know, bad that's being said or, or being posted about you, there are like 90 other great things that are being said. And I realized that you know, comes with a responsibility to not completely lash out you know, at them and like use that as a learning example. So I made a promise to myself that if I ever get the platform just like this, on a night just like this, that I would call them out. And then so I'm calling you out people. Um, so what I learned about that is that, you know, you can't please everyone. You know, you can't be Benedict Cumberbatch to someone else. You can't be, you know, the, the Taco Supreme to someone else. You know, you, you've got to be that character for yourself. If you believe in it and you inhabit it and you get the joy out of it, that's what matters the most. Now you're probably wondering why I'm wearing Maui, right? Um, how that all ties together. So you know, as going back to being a child, I didn't see a representation of myself. I didn't see, you know, um, a large Asian, Polynesian, Pacific Islander, you know, character that wasn't a caricature of, you know, something of something else. So, or it was always the sidekick or like the smart kid or things like that. So, I've already been the, the smart, fat sidekick all my life. You know, I didn't, well, I didn't, I didn't see any other heroes that that were representative of me until I saw the promotional materials for Moana. And all of a sudden, there was a large brown man who liked musical theater. <laughs> Three decades I waited for this moment. And to see that, a singing, dancing, you know, large brown man, um, that gave me um, a chill first, and then that gave me inspiration that if I were going to cosplay this character, I will do my best, my diligence to make this right, to do this right. So I spent over six months creating this um, cosplay, so, you know, sewed everything, <laughs> hand-marked all the tattoos, 
and it created the hook. I'll be happy to explain how that's made too. Um, but spent the time to do it right and do it well. And I introduced this particular cosplay at KatsuCon in DC this past February. And there was a collective gasp that happened when I got out of the elevator. And time felt it stopped as I just kind of like moseyed around with my giant hook. And all eyes shifted. And there was one young woman who came up to me and said, this is your moment. This is your moment and you know it. And that resonated with me because yes, this is my moment. My moment to be able to be the representation of something I didn't see, that I yearned for, that I waited three decades to, to be able to embrace. And there were many photographers, there were many you know, um, opportunities to interact with people. And I remember going home, driving home from DC, and I haven't even made it down to three mile, uh, or three hour drive yet, um, when things started popping up on the Google. And, um, and there I was, I started seeing those photos of myself as Maui and the character. And I was like, oh wow, these are really great photos. And um, then it started to really pick up and then it went viral. And um, all of a sudden, I was getting messages from people like, wow, this is great. You're awesome. And these were people of color. These were people who, um, who have larger body types. These were people who felt that they'd been the other all their lives. And to see someone take a character that um, is not just um, a symbol of a particular culture, but the sizeism, ageism issues you know, within the cosplay community um, is rampant as well. But for them to be able to feel like, wow, I can feel like I can be that person too. That I can pursue a character that I want and inhabit that person and create that person. And one of the messages came from a young woman named Susan from Netherlands. And she sent me a message and she says, I really love Maui. I really love Moana. I love this movie. I want to cosplay Maui so bad, but you know, I'm Danish, and, uh, and I don't know, you know if I should do it or not. I'm just going to give up. And so we started a friendship you know, uh, via Facebook, uh, and she showed me her progress, and I encouraged her, and I showed her how I made, my, how I made my, my cosplay, and she was so excited. So in about a span of about three months, she was able to create her costume. She was so proud of it, and she was able to bring herself to compete at the Dutch Comic Con, and she felt so good about herself, and she felt so proud that you know, she was able to manifest something that she created and she was proud of, of a fandom that we both shared, which was Disney. And for me, I had that moment of where I was reading Spider-Man. I, there I was being able to look back on myself, like had I had someone to be a mentor or a guide like I'm providing now, I realized that I became the representation that I was looking for this whole time. And as it is in Spider-Man, Uncle Ben says, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And what I have learned is that as a cosplayer and having built relationships with upcoming cosplayers, that 
with great responsibility comes great opportunity. And that's an opportunity to educate, to reach out, to connect, to empower. And that's a, a responsibility and an opportunity that I don't take for granted. And I truly appreciate the connections that I'm able to make and the stories I'm able to tell and the relationships I'm able to cultivate and empower. And I hope I'm able to continue to do that. And so I'm really proud that, um, as of recently, that I am now an official brand ambassador for Singer Sewing Machines. <laughs> so, you know, the story comes full circle, right? You know, so, and so now I am in a position where I can bridge those gaps of helping people who might not have access or they, they want to learn and they don't know how or where to start. So those are my people because I know those people and I want to help them grow. So I think for me and my own journey, I think it's just beginning. I'm really excited to see you know, where it goes and you know, for my origin story and looking back at that, you know, at that fifth, fifth grade boy being held up at knife point and running away from it, I would say, hey, you, you're gonna do really amazing things three decades from now. You may not see it, but it's going to happen and you're gonna change people's lives across the water, across nations and ages and body types and cultures, and you're gonna do really amazing work. And guess what? You're gonna be able to see it for yourself. So, thank you very much for joining me, Jenny. Well, folks, you've done it again. You've taken your smart pill, and you're better for it. If you'd like to see photos of Phil as Maui and our other storytellers, you can find links in the episode description as well as links to Dawn and Zach's stories. Phil can be seen at many different conventions across the country, and you can follow him online and on social media as canvascosplay.com. If you enjoyed Phil's story, you can hear more from him in our one-on-one -on -one interview where he talks about a day in the life of a professional cosplayer. Smart Phil is brought to you by the WHRO Emerging Leaders Board a group of millennial professionals in their 20s and 30s who believe in the power of public media to make their voices heard. The podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Emerging Talks event series, bringing critical information and important conversations to people in Hampton Roads and across the country. The podcast is produced by Keith Saunders, Ryan McIntyre, and Truly Matthews, and produced in association with WHRO. Sound recording and technical assistance by Victor Bowen, Special thanks to WHRO Director of Community Engagement, Nancy Rogan, the WHRO Marketing Department, Brad Tuggle, the Virginia Gaming Association, and the Virginia Stage Company. On behalf of the Emerging Leaders Board, I'm your host, Ryan McIntyre, and I'll talk to you again when it's time to take your smart bill.